Hello and welcome to the Joshua Nima Show where you get a shot of truth with your coffee. Well, today I'm very pleased we're going to talk about a lot of different things today, so it's going to be a quick moving show. And I am pleased to have Anna back with us. Anna, how are you? Hi, Josh. And hi, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day and you all are keeping safe. Yes, everybody, we need you to stay alive out there. So put that mask on, be careful, because it's not the same without you, the listener. Now, Anna, it's been, since we've talked last on this show, we've had the inauguration. We've had a lot of things going on. I don't think we talked before the, I don't think we talked after the Capitol was invaded there. So there's quite a lot of things we missed. Yeah, definitely. There was a lot that we uh, missed during the time. But um, let's see. Why don't we start with um, President Biden has done up to this point. He's been in the White House just about two weeks now. And he has signed roughly 50 executive orders. Now, I believe, I'm going to start off here, I'm very against executive orders in general, no matter who does them, because I think the presidency is too powerful. I think it was intended the legislative branch would have the most power. Um, But since World War II, the presidency has grown more and more powerful, and so executive orders cuts out the the legislative branch. But, but, I want to highlight what, in my opinion, are some good executive orders um, that have come out of these roughly 50. Um, why don't we talk first, because anybody who's listened to this show over the years knows one of our really giant issues we pushed and fought on was DACA. And what for those who are unfamiliar with what DACA is, President Obama signed an executive order that would give legal status to children who were brought here illegally when they were children, but they were raised here in America. They, um, for all intents and purposes, were American like us. And so to protect them from being deported, President Obama signed DACA as an executive order, which would allow them to stay, and they'd have to renew every few years. So when Trump took over the White House, one of the first things he did was he pulled DACA back and got rid of it so he could deport all these people. And we really raised a lot of hell about that when it was going on. We did, I don't know, probably 10 shows about that. And one yeah, time, we, we didn't get them out. And one time we went and did a protest show in front of Diane Feinstein's uh, Senate office in L.A., and we had some white supremacists come. We had about 200 people show up. It was pretty big. But all this was said, I went on a rabbit trail there. All this was said is that um, Biden put DACA fully back in and strengthened it. So what do you think, what are your thoughts about that, Anna? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a good um, stepping stone. I don't personally think it's enough. Um because I really think that you, you need to make it easier for people to be, just become citizens in general. It's very hard for people to become citizens and, be, and people who are, um, who are coming into the country uh, undocumented 
they're not coming in just for the fun of it. They're 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 escaping from poverty, war, etc. There's a reason why they're coming here. They're not they're not um, and the idea that you know it takes like almost a decade to become a citizen of the United States is absolutely ridiculous. That's that's a good portion of your life. It is. I wish I could get a decade back on my life at this point. Um, okay, so you don't think it goes far enough. I I don't I don't think it goes far enough. I'm, it's a it's a, it's a good like like stepping stone. Like okay, yes, we're back to where it was before, but I I want to push more than that. Okay, that's a fair assessment. I'm torn. I'm torn because my main objective is I wanted DACA to be put back in place. Um, right now, we have mm-hmm. roughly 12, 12 to 15 million undocumented um, residents here in America. The numbers fluctuate depending who you talk to, but 12 to 15 million undocumented people. DACA, mm-hmm. on the other hand, is roughly 800,000 people, so it's a tiny drop in the bucket. And so yeah. I felt that, number one, we had to get DACA put back in. But let me ask you, since you talked about immigration, I was, at the time, I advocated we needed to do a DACA deal. And a deal that I thought could be made, and I'm sure you're going to disagree with me, but I was trying to be practical, not what you call the perfect deal, but a practical deal, was mm-hmm. – um, bringing the DACA, legalizing the DACA people in exchange for border security, part of the wall, da-da-da. And um, they were close to that deal to begin with, but both parties found it was in their best interest not to make the deal for political reasons, not for, uh, for actual, but for political reasons. And so there wasn't a deal, but DACA is done, I think, an executive order isn't good enough. I think the House and the Senate need to pass a law and um, just put it in stone, and then it gets signed compared to an executive order. But you brought up about immigration in general, about legalizing the people here. Would you be willing, and I'm going to ask you as a devil's advocate question, would you be willing to make a deal where we deal with these, we'll say 12 million undocumented people, where we put them on a quick path to citizenship, we're talking about under four years, in exchange for tighter border security, possibly some wall. I I, I actually don't really want to play into that argument, Josh, here, because like I'm sort of looking at that whole like border security wall, because that's literally just a waste of funds to be honest like that's just you know trump's whole like we want to build a wall when he really just was trying to contract with some friends um and and money and just it's just funneling money it's such a waste i i don't i don't think i could even agree to that agreement because it's a waste we don't need a like why do i need it why do i need to agree to such a ridiculous agreement you know, like I, I um, because that's not that's that kind of like wall idea is not an, an argument in good faith. 
Okay. Because okay. We, we already have the border security. You know, um, people get hurt there every day. This is it's not it's not a trip to Disneyland. No. Going over the border wall. It's like, people who talk about going over the border like it's some easy thing. Don't know the border at all. Um, it's a huge terrain. Um, there's mountains. There's rivers. Uh, people are risking their lives. So if it was Disneyland, you're saying it would be Adventureland uh, <laughs> or Frontierland. But um, okay, okay. Well, I don't want to be compared to Trump, so let's <laughs> pull that back. But let me ask you, on a fundamental level, do you feel we should let everybody and anybody in who wants to come in, or do you feel we have to have some standards and border security? Not necessarily more walls, but um, firm border security and some kind of standards. Okay, so like on a on a um, fundamental level, like we already like there's already like general like security like freedoms when you go on an airplane, you know, um, you know they know who you are and whatnot, and I guess that's fine. Um, you know, because, and they stop you, for example, if, like, certain state borders and whatnot, mm -hmm. um, just who you are and stuff like that. And so I guess in regards to that, like, like, just to make sure you're not a felon on the run from another country, you know, I guess, you know, for, like, for something, like, really, really bad, I guess in that regard, Okay, I, okay. That's fine, but like I don't really, I don't really have a standard in regards to, oh, you have to have this kind of job or what. Like I don't think that, like that's absolutely like ridiculous. I think any, mostly anyone should be able to travel in and out in different countries. I feel like fundamentally, on a human level, um, a lot of restrictions that countries put against each other uh, hurts humans as a whole because humans are meant to travel and meant to go to different places without restrictions, in my opinion. Um, I, let me see. Because if, because going along that theory, I believe I was meant to go to Hawaii and I need an airline ticket to get there. But uh, <laughs> on a serious note, I understand your point of view. I, I think I'm slightly to the right of you on that issue. I believe we should streamline the process and make it easier for people to get in and get citizenship but i do think we do have to have standards not necessarily what job you have what can you provide but i think there has to be uh some form of alarm and people have to go through a process i don't think it should take a decade i think um we should raise our quotas of how many people we allow in but I do think there has to be some kind of procedure. Also, um, looking back, like before um, this whole situation, people used to go in all in and out of like basically a revolving door between Mexico and the United States, like uh, basically like migrant workers. They would come in and then work in certain seasons and then go back, you know, to Mexico to their family and whatnot like you said people are going in and out and they're spending money here and they're spending money there you know and we just have sort of like a revolving door in a way and so like not everyone who's trying to get into into the country is going to necessarily stay here forever 
And so we have to t- acknowledge that and, um, and not make it hard for them either. Um, do you think I, – I, I, I understand what you're saying. I think it makes it somewhat unfair, though, for those migrant workers because when, peop- when employers are hiring them, a lot of times they'll hold their legal status over their head and say, I'm going to pay you far less or I'm not going to pay you at all after they do the work and say, I'm going to call ICE and have you deported yeah. if you complain. So that's another reason I think we should um, streamline it, and so people can become documented. And uh, oh yeah, definitely, people should there should be documented stuff so that so that like um, you know these um, these um, uh, these like uh, this exploitation needs to stop. Like there needs to be oversight over that. Yes. Um, so um, I'm not I'm not against that in any way. Um, like I said, I, I'm not against the idea of like documents, you know, because I think people, I think it's good to account for things, you know, I'm not really here like, oh, no, no documents. Like I, I understand the idea of documents in order to, uh, protect the people who are being documented. That's, that's, how, that's my view on the documents. This is about protecting the people who are, who are able to get document and not be exploited by, for example, um, by the yeah. people who are taking by advantage the, of it. By the people who are taking advantage of it. That's correct. Okay. Um, I think I took us down a rabbit trail. I think a few people's eyes might be glazing over. But I think it's good that we have in-depth discussions on things like immigration policy. And I think we actually are closer in agreement um, I'm to the right of you, but we I think we have an agreement there. But all in all, we're happy that DACA is there. That was a big part of our show, and DACA is safe for right now. Now let's move on because we spent a little time there. The Muslim ban. When Trump took over, probably the first or second big thing he did it was instantaneous almost, was putting the Muslim ban in place, which was a way to gin up his base. It was uh, a prejudiced move, um, harming people coming back and forth. And it was a major deal, and it was a stain really on what America is because simply based on someone's religion, we were um, saying they couldn't come in. And so Trump put that in. That was another thing that we really went to bat about and um, Biden, within the first week, he rescinded the Muslim ban. What was your thoughts on that, Anna? Uh, well, I'm glad that the ban is lifted up. That was a ridiculous ban. Um, not very surprising from Trump, and not surprising on the countries that he did ban, because he purposely like did not choose, for example, like Saudi Arabia. Uh, he specifically aimed at countries where um, he does not have like Business personal interests. To his business interests, that's correct. Where he doesn't get um, money in his pocket, so he doesn't. Uh, okay. Um, so what it, you, we were saying that Saudi Arabia and these other places that benefit Trump didn't end up on the Muslim ban, and the countries that do not benefit Trump were banned. So, what are your thoughts about the ban and about it being lifted? 
Uh, well, I'm glad it's being lifted. Um, the ban itself was awful, clearly. Uh, it was a personal interest ban. It was a racist ban. Uh, this ban uh, aimed at countries that weren't in Trump's personal businesses, so it wasn't aimed at, for example, like Saudi Arabia. And you know what? Let's jump because we're. I think we could both say we're glad the ban ended, but let's jump because since Saudi Arabia is, uh, we we're talking about it now. Let's jump to another executive order, and for most people, because it's not covered in the mainstream news. Um, at least here in America, but Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have been waging a humanitarian war against Yemen um, in a proxy fight with Iran. So they've been bombing Yemen, they've been killing civilians, women and children, and it's been a humanitarian crisis. And the problem is, and why it matters, other than it's wrong, is that the United States has been selling them the planes, they've been selling them the bombs, they've been doing all this, and under the Trump administration, they would not stop doing it. The House and the Senate passed the law saying um, no more weapon sales to Saudi Arabia, and Trump vetoed it. And Biden, again, in the first week, has reversed that by executive order, we are not sending them any more bombs, any more weapons, any more planes because of the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. And so this is, again, the third executive order. I am personally very happy about this. We should not be um, aiding people in killing others, but especially civilians. What do you think, Anna? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, to be honest, I view um, the selling of weapons in general as uh, unethical and just in general bad, especially in the context of um, we're selling weapons to a uh, country that's using it to um, hurt um, uh, innocent people and their civilians. And the Saudis know. are human rights abusers. Yeah. Um, I I don't... Um, the United States is very in love with its weapons and its military. And in general, I'm, I'm very against the military complex uh, that we have here in the United States. And I don't think we should be encouraging that in our own country or in other countries. Well, it's a fact that we spend more on our defense department than, um, and defense department isn't, I should say more on the military because defense sounds like we're protecting ourselves. But what we're really doing is, as you called the military industrial, industrial um, complex. And, it really, we spend 10 times more than, we spend more than the next 10 countries combined. I was doing a little word soup there. But we spend gigantic amounts on the military, but it's not what you would call in a defensive way. It mostly gets spent on military contractors. So places like Boeing, Northrop Grumman, all these people who are profiting off it on a financial level. So it's not that we're, doing things that benefit us, but we're doing things to help private corporations. And um, so there's a major problem. We have the war in Iraq still, the war in Afghanistan. Um, heaven knows we have Guantanamo Bay that I wish we could talk about today, but we'll push that back. So we have a lot of problems overseas. And we spend too much, and I think if we cut back our military budget, enough that still protects us and keeps us 
dominant, but not enough that we have to make billionaires out of these private contractors. But um, we shouldn't be doing that, and we shouldn't be selling weapons to other nations. So I think we completely agree. And just on a human rights level, we should not participate, because even though it's Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates that are dropping these bombs and killing these civilians, it's our tax dollars, it's us as the United States that is behind this. And I'm very glad that Biden decided to stop and pull out of that. Now, let's deal with one last executive order because we're running out of time. And this was a giant one. It's another one that we really pushed, especially back in 18 in the governor and senator races here in California. But it's private prisons. And here in California, we really made a push. Every guest we brought on from Newsom to Viragosa, Delaney Easton, um, you could go down the list. We pushed them and said, will you commit to stopping private prisons here in California? And we got them to make commitments that they will not support private prisons or take money from private prison companies. Because what it really is, we're locking up. We only have 5% of the world's population. But we lock up here in America 25% of the world's people who are in prison. So it's a major problem. We over-criminalize things. And prison is a horrible experience. And it's, it's one thing when the U.S. government has a prison. But the moment that we have private people making prisons that have different standards and everything, and we are paying them, and they're making a profit off locking up a human being, it's uh, completely unethical. In California, in the last two years, three years now, because we're in 2021, we have phased out private prisons. We're not doing deals with them anymore. But the United States as a whole was. Biden signed an executive order that said, um, no more, we're not renewing our contracts with any private prisons. We're phasing them out and getting rid of them. Anna, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, I think it's a good uh, like earlier when I said about DACA, like it's a good stepping stone in regards to um, uh, prison reform. Like definitely we need to stop with private prisons. That shouldn't be a thing. Uh, I do think our prison system still needs major work. And I don't think this is where we should stop. But it's a good stepping stone. What do you think should be the next step in criminal justice reform if you want to go um, beyond private prisons? Well, in order to, I think we talked about this before, um, we need to uh, focus on prison being rehab, uh, being rehab, uh, rehabilitating, rehabilitating yes. uh, 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 people versus just punishment because people don't deserve to be punished forever. Like, especially when it comes to like, um, more lower crime so we need to change the way we view prison and also in regards to that we have to deal with why people commit crimes to begin with why would someone for example like chop choplift or steal a car and stuff like that and and deal with 
fundamental issues when it comes to education and poverty and wealth redistribution in the United States. Okay, okay. I was with um, you on a lot of that. Um, Because when you look at, for instance, like who's the people that go to jail? It's mainly people of color, people in poverty. You don't see bosses that that, um, commit white theft. So white-collar crimes don't go to jail as much as um, what you would call petty crimes. That's correct. Okay. I agree with you there. I was with you about over-criminalization, about um, punishing people, overly punishing people. I'm, I'm very much against the death penalty for moral reasons and practical reasons. Where I separated from you was... Uh, redistribution of wealth, I don't know that that necessarily falls under um, criminal justice reform, but as someone... Well, I think it does, because because a lot of people who commit crime are doing it because they're poor. They're not doing it just for the fun of it. Well... They're doing it because they're in poverty. I think there's two categories. You have the, we'll call them the Les Miserables type, who are stealing food to feed their family and they get caught up in the system and it's a horrible tragedy so we have those people and then we have i would argue the gang members you have um people who are i hate to use the term psychopaths but there are bad people out there who do horrible crimes i don't think everybody should be let go but i do feel we do need to fix the system where we do take into account people who have drug problems, who have other things, and we need to rehabilitate people. Uh, But I do believe we need jails, but I don't, I think we throw way too many people in. Um, We over-criminalize, but um, I think you touched on something, so we'll go back there. You were talking about education, and there is a pipeline, as they call it, the school-to-prison pipeline, and people who do not finish school, people who drop out, um, who are truant, if you look, people who are truant a lot end up in the criminal justice system. People who drop out in middle school, high school, fall off the map, they run out of options of jobs they could get, how they make money. So you find them committing theft and doing other things, and they end up in prison. And so I do think we do... Education and our criminal justice system are tied hand in hand. You were exactly right. And we need to find ways to where we put funding in education. Uh, We put funding into children and youth in the early parts of their life so we steer them away from hitting prison. Because we know that once someone goes to jail, it tends to be a revolving door and they keep going back to jail. So I 100% agree with you. We need to work on the education end we need to work on decriminalizing a lot of people but i think we i think we are like 90 percent in agreement that redistribution of wealth scared the hell out of me i don't think we should take money away from people who have earned it to but i don't here's the thing i don't think a lot of rich people actually earn their money like i don't think bezos earned his money i think he took it from his workers, you know, these money that, like, so you like, think there's Amazon no way. ripped off their employees. And 100%. I think Amazon and Walmart and big corporations, they exploit 
their workers and then put it in the money of these executive boards they didn't they didn't do the labor they are just they're just saying but would you argue that they had an idea and they put it into effect and they took the risk of starting a business and so they're entitled to um a bigger cut of the pie now we can argue about how much of the pie they should have but do you feel that the worker and the employer should all be equal or do you think that the person who took the risk in the first place should um make more and it's just a question of how much that's the more. thing that's the thing is they didn't take the risk like we act like these these rich people took the risk they but they have got like three hundred thousand funding uh hundred thousand dollars in stock under trump's parents he comes from a wealthy background these people that are taking quote-unquote risk aren't actually taking risk they can lose it because they're not in a position of poverty like those who who are poor we act like this is an american dream but in reality when you look at who's the who's the people who are taking these uh quote-unquote business risks they're already from wealthy uh backgrounds some they're not taking risks some people are i'll give you that some people um are wealthy to begin with but i think if you look at america three quarters i believe of businesses are small businesses it's someone who had a dream someone who uh say wanted to become a lawyer or someone who wanted to become a doctor someone who dreamt up the concept of even that stupid little thing the chia pet it was someone's idea and they put it into effect and it took off and so not all people. I do, I, I do, I do want to add that um, if you're not paying your workers a living wage, you should not be making the amount you are making. If they can't comfortably live a life, get entertained, like be able to have access to entertainment, food, water, internet, a living home, like a living place for them and their family, you shouldn't have an overabundance of money. But that's but, my. Okay, first of all, first of all, okay, here's, I think we've hit a good thing here, because who determines what a living wage, well, that's a bad question, because I think we know what a living wage is. You could look at what area someone lives at and how much they make, but who, de so I don't think we're talking about a living wage, but a fair wage. Who determines what a fair wage is? Because we could see in Long Beach right now, um, Kroger's is shutting down two stores because the city of Long Beach put in uh, a new law saying you have to pay grocery store workers at an extra $4 an hour. And Kroger said, we can't afford to pay each employee an extra $4 an hour. It's going to cost us millions of dollars. And what gives a city, a state, or whoever the right, and it's an honest question, who gets to decide what a fair wage is? Because, say, here I am running this radio show. I have um, staff. I have a producer. I have different people. And we have contracts about how much they make. But what if all of a sudden the city that we're taping in says you have to um, pay your producer $80 an hour? Well, if I did that, I would go out of business because I couldn't afford that. So... When do we have it where there's a contract between an employer and an employee, and who gets to decide that they get to come in as a third party 
and determine how much someone has to pay someone. Well, okay, so that's like under the okay, so I, I guess I, I want to add like, like the situation with the radio show is different than, for example, um, the situation in what's happening in Long Beach. Because, um, okay, my opinion on that, um, I don't even think a hazard pay is necessarily enough. I, I think, like, in regard, I think it's Ralph and Clover's need to also um, protect their workers more because essential workers are on the line right now. And I don't think hazard pay is even enough in regard to that. So the $4 but, isn't high enough. Yeah, it's not like. Because it's like, okay, you're getting four extra dollars an hour to risk your life. Do you, okay, okay, I agree with you. Okay, I'll agree with you there that people are risking their lives. So let's say, because um, when you're in the grocery union, a lot of these uh, clerks and people, they're making $17, 18 $19 an hour. So let's round it up with hazard pay to $25 an hour. So that's not enough. What do you think an hourly wage is good enough for a grocery store worker in these conditions? Um, you know, I'm not, I, I can't really answer that because I don't really know, I, I, I don't really want to put a, a number on num it. A number on it. Because um, I, I am torn. I'm going to tell you this. I do feel, I, like, go I, ahead. Oh, no, because I'm looking at this and I'm not very, uh, because the, you don't because have sympathy acting, for the employees. Acting, I don't have sympathy for Kroger. They're a big comp they're a big corporation, you know. But I don't they're have a big corporation good. because they know how to save money. Now I need to come out. I'm not a I'm not uh here to bash uh I'm not here to bash essential workers. I think it's important you're doing a whether you're a nurse, a doctor, at the grocery store. I'm coming out and I'm playing devil's advocate here. Because mm -hmm. I think what it comes down to is our idea of what capitalism is. I'm pro-capitalism. I'm pro the free market. Um, I think you more on the Bernie Sanders end. So what I'm saying is I feel there's a way we can be fair with people, but I don't think we should get involved and start um, making it too hard for those people who are the business owners, people who have created something, and we come in and we start dictating to them because I think you hurt the employees in the long run. Well, I think in general, like, since you brought up the word capitalism, a lot of capitalism is rooted to exploitation. And states get involved in these kind of things. Not that I personally, I don't really like government interventions, like, too much. But when governments interfere, for example, when it comes to businesses, it's because they're exploiting their workers. Why do we have child labor laws? Because because business workers used to exploit children for work. Uh, why do we have, for example, um, um, in regards to like um, overtime and stuff like that? It's regards to exploitation. Yes, and unions came in and they helped people out quite a bit. But um, so I agree with you. We need to have laws. We need to have regulations. I'm just concerned that we've reached a point where. Uh, we're getting too involved, and when you dictate that, people are going to say, you know what? Like, for example, here in California, a lot of businesses have picked up and they said, we're moving to Texas, we're moving to Florida, we're going to places that are more business friendly. Overall, I think that's going to end up hurting the state, 
because we've put so many regulations and so many burdens that eventually people keep pulling out and there's not going to be much left. The tax base is going to fall through the floor. And how do we take care of the disadvantaged and the poor if we've killed the goose that's laid the golden egg? Well, okay, so what, like, also is saying, um, they would have, they, these businesses would have probably, like, moved in regard, regardless, because, like, even if we went, like, oh, no regulation, you know, eventually they, they would try to move, like, um, out of, out of the country as well. Like, we're, we're trying, we're, we're, we're pretending that, like, we're able to stop these businesses, but they're, they're in the end for a profit line, and so, so, you know, like the idea, for example, like, oh, let's get our uh, factory workers back, you know, that, that got overspent to China. Those, those jobs are gone. They're never coming back because this is not, this is not about um, a, um, this is, this is about profit at the end. Okay. So, but do you think, let me ask you this, because I think we have a fundamental disagreement when it comes to the economy. Do you think just a yes or no question. Do you think the word profit and uh, do you think the word profit is a good word or a bad word? Uh, I sort of view it as a, it depends on what kind of context you're talking in because like right now I'm sort of, I've sort of said that in like a very like neutral, but like sort of disparaging. It leaves term. a sour taste in your mouth. Yeah, because, um, because, like, okay, like, I get it. Like, here's the thing. Our world is run by money, and I understand in regards to having to make a profit to live, you know, to live comfortably, to have entertainment, you know, to have a family, to have pets and a yard and a house. Like, I'm not here, you know, being like, oh, you have to live in poverty for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about the overabundance of greed. Okay. When I'm talking about when I'm talking about businesses looking for a profit, like I'm talking about billions and billions of dollars that involve exploitations of workers. But when I hear the word socialism, what I think is you want to say that someone who's taken eight years of their life and studied to become a lawyer, studied to become a doctor, and you want to say that the lawyer and the doctor should make as much, or that a garbage man no disparagement on garbage people, but that they should make as much as a lawyer and doctor. And when I hear that, I think you are killing our entrepreneurial spirit because why would someone spend their time going to college, going to medical school, becoming a doctor, if you determine that they end up making the same amount of money as someone who collects garbage, which is a necessary job, but doesn't necessarily require the same skills and so well, here's the thing there's no such thing as unskilled labor that's a lie there's no such thing as unskilled labor like people are like oh well what should you get um be paid this much if you flip the patty you know how many people i've seen who can't even cook a burger correctly you know are we acting like any job is not skilled that's a lie no, every job, every job there's dignity in all work i'll agree there's dignity um, in all work but I and think, here's the thing. I think people should be able. I think people should be doing the job they want to do because they love it, not because of the money. I don't want a doctor who's in it for the money and not taking their patient, care of their patients well. I don't want an attorney who doesn't believe in the job they're doing. 
I'd rather have a doctor who wants to have a beach house and a convertible doing open heart surgery on me than I would someone who's doing it for the fun of it but doesn't know as much. Well, that's not, you still have to go to medical school. Like, this is not a, um, that's not a, um, like, like something that's just going to happen, you know. I'm saying that people should be, like, people who go to medical school should be going to medical school because they want to help people, not because of money, not because of status. I think this whole idea of, like, this status, like, oh, um, is fundamentally bad. This should not be a hierarchy in regards to jobs because we're all human beings. Everybody, I agree with you. Every job, there's dignity in work, and whether you're a garbage man, I didn't mean to put down garbage men, but I was trying to make a point that, um, there's entry level jobs and what we a lot of times negatively call someone a burger flipper and so we disparage someone who works in fast food but I think we could agree for the most part someone who's doing that is probably younger working their way through high school or college and it's not the end of a career for them so we're not talking about 50 year olds that's not even necessarily true I, like I want to uh, uh I went to McDonald's the other day, you know, and there's there's workers in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. This is not, that's fundamentally not even true. But They don't hire teenagers but, in a lot of these places. But the problem with that is, you're right, there could be people of all age, but most of, mostly fast food work and jobs like that, say you work at Kohl's department store, I did that as an entry job when I was getting into the workforce as a cashier. A lot of these jobs are entry-level jobs while you're working your way through school, but you don't necessarily want to make a career out of being a Kohl's cashier, um, and you're 50 years old and you're still doing that, and necessarily making the same wages as someone who has put the effort in to go to college and say, get a master's degree, start a business, um, or something like that. And all jobs you should be able to live but what I'm saying is there is a difference. I, I do want to add that, okay, because I decided to search it up right now. Uh, uh, according, um, apparently about 40% of the workforce in fast food industry is 25 and older. So it's a good portion of them are not teenagers. That's a general misconception. And then like another like 30% is between their 20s and 25. So you're telling uh, me that if this radio show doesn't work out, I could be able to go to McDonald's. Correct. Um, I hope they give me McNuggets at least. (laughs) I'm sorry. sorry. Okay. Uh, I think you and I have a fundamental disagreement here. I'm pro-capitalism. I'm not um, pro-vulture capitalism. I don't think we should um, do these sweetheart deals where we give Amazon these giant tax breaks and they don't pay their people good wages, or Walmart, that most people who work at Walmart are on food stamps and they're on welfare, and it's not their fault, but that because Walmart pays them so little that we as the government, our tax dollars, end up paying Walmart employees food stamps and welfare, and so, and yet we give these companies giant tax breaks and other benefits to come to town, so what we're really doing is we are subsidizing Walmart who's not paying their people enough money. So I think we could agree 
vulture capitalism, people who exploit and take advantage of their workers, that's not good. But I believe the word capitalism isn't a bad thing. I don't think profit's a bad thing. I'd love to have a house on the beach. I'd love to uh, have an apartment in uh, New York on Fifth Avenue overlooking Central Park. That requires a lot of money, and I hope to get to that point. So I'm not a person who demonizes wealth or money. But um, so, okay. I think fundamentally capitalism is corrupt. So, I think it's, it's. So if I wanted to slip you a hundred dollar bill, that you would find that offensive. I mean, I will of course take it because we live in a capitalist world. Like, are, are you like we live in? It's it's like I participate in capitalist society. It doesn't mean I enjoy it. But well, I would it enjoy it if someone. I have to live it. I would enjoy it if someone slipped me money. But, um, okay, okay, I think we had a great discussion, and it took us way off the course. Um, anyway, we need to have another debate about socialism and capitalism, but I'm pro-money. And just to be fair to your side, we could say that Social Security, Medicare, things like that are socialism. People like those things. So a lot of times people get spooked by the word socialism but don't realize a lot of the things we enjoy have certain socialistic tendencies. But long live capitalism, long live the idea that you can come from nothing and come with a great idea and work your tail off and become rich. But let me ask you, because we've gone so over time, um, schools are closed. And let's try to wrap this up. Schools are closed. There's an argument, should schools be reopened or stay closed? Um, I think you and I are going to have a fundamental disagreement, but my feeling is schools, at least for elementary and middle school, must reopen. We've seen that the CDC and other medical organizations have come out and said there's not a significant risk for students to be in school, but it is actively harming them, their mental health, their physical health. We're seeing suicides go up great cases of depression, kids aren't necessarily getting their breakfast or their lunch that they would through school. We're seeing a lot of problems, schools being closed. The teachers' unions are demanding that they want much more pay, they want this and they want that, and they're not going to open until they get these things. Kids are being hurt by being stuck at home. Where are you on the school closure? Well, okay. We're literally in a pandemic. Of course, they're going to be hurt at home because um, because this is a depressive time. This is literally a very depressive time. You watch the news every day. You hear people dying and stuff like that. Of course, kids' depression rates are up. I don't think we should pretend. Do you, re do you feel that it's harming children being forced to stay home? Well, of course, it's going to harm children, but it's going to harm them if they go back and then their favorite teacher died of the coronavirus. You know, are, are, you know, like either option is going to hurt them. This is really about taking the lesser option. So you um, feel that. So what do you think it would take on your end to make for you to think it's safe for schools to open? Um, what is your view? When we get, when we, when we get herd immunity, whether it's. Uh, when, when the majority of the population are vaccinated, well, I think that, that's one. 
we're, they're saying that could not possibly happen for another year, two years. How how long is long enough? How how far is too far to where it outweighs the risks to send kids back to school? Because the studies are showing that it is relatively safe as long as you put distance in place, you put masks on, you do different things. When does it okay, teachers? Okay, okay. I know obviously uh -huh. if you have health risks, you stay home, but. Mm -hmm. I don't think teachers are put in that hard of a risk to go back to school. The thing is, that's not even like they are put at risk. We've seen teachers die in areas that that um, had these had like no none of these restrictions. And yeah, the CDC said like in, if there's heavy restrictions, but are we really going to depend on? Um, um, these local schools and states to enforce these these uh, heavy restrictions because especially when it comes to um, children that don't listen we already have overcrowded classrooms we already had overcrowded classrooms to begin with and I know. so this is to begin with so know, this is so a I, gift to teachers because teachers claim they want smaller classes so now let's give them classes with 15 kids in the class spread them out the teacher gets pay. Let's give them more pay. I mean, heaven knows they always scream and need more pay each year. So let's give them more pay. But what I, I feel the teachers' unions are using this as a hostage situation. They're taking the kids, and they're basically saying, unless you give me more money and a lot more money, then I'm not going to teach your child. Well, these children are being hurt. They're falling behind. A lot of kids don't have access to the Internet or ways to get to school. It's been a year now, starting in March, where kids have not been mm -hmm. in the classroom. At what point do we say, if the teacher doesn't want to come back, that's fine. They don't have to come back. We'll hire someone else. But we need to get our kids back to learning. Because grocery workers, they're working. Yeah, but, like, there's – um. In regards to, uh, in regards to that, uh, it's not like teachers aren't working. There's still online classes. Online classes isn't as good as in-person uh, cl uh, classes. But we're not. But a lot of these um, 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 rhetoric is acting like teachers are not working. They are working. They're actually working pretty harder than they do than they are in person because it's harder to. To uh, deal with an online class and dealing with it is hard. You know. And I'm not against teachers. I think there's a lot of wonderful teachers. I had a lot of bad ones, but I think in general there are good teachers out there. Many good teachers. Because why else would you go into the system and go to college and do this to become that unless you wanted to help kids? But I feel the teachers' union is looking to exploit this so they can get more union members, they can get more money, and Gavin Newsom here has offered $2 billion to get the schools reopened and get kids back in thing, and the teachers' unions say, hell no, we need more money. How much is enough? Do we need to give them $5 billion, $10 billion? Um, when is Do we have to give all the teachers a beautiful red convertible like I had so they come to school? What, what will it take to open schools? Honestly, like my opinion is when it's safe. I don't really think you can put a 
dollar amount on that. I I personally think that we should be, and that's and that's more towards um, my general view in regards to the COVID um, situation that we need to be prior prioritizing the creation of vaccines, even if that and, and medication, even if that includes um, doing a uh, declarations in, uh, of emergency, and and doing that. I don't, I don't, I think we should stop being playing around. And I think we should be honest that we need more vaccines and therefore we need to create more vaccines and not depend on just private, um, the private sector to do so. I think we have to enforce it. I do think we need health. more vaccines. I think we should uh, use the Defense Production Act to um, ramp this up and get everybody who wants a vaccine. Because I do want, I do want kids to be in school as soon as possible. But I don't want to see people dying. Okay. We already have enough deaths, and that's my stance on it. Okay. It's not. It's not because like I'm thinking, oh, kids. Uh, uh, I don't care for kids not going to school. Like, of course, kids should go to school. This is not. I. This is. It's very important for kids to get social interaction, and to deal with others and to learn with um, in school in the classroom, and interact with their teachers. It's not healthy. For a child to be home all day like it's i like completely agree that it's not healthy but it's but we're in a pandemic okay um so i think what we've come away with is you and i both agree schools should be opened as soon as possible you are just of the mindset that we should wait longer so um teachers get vaccinated and things like that i'm of the mindset that it's a necessary risk that the kids suicide rates are going up other things are happening kids are falling behind and so when you have the cdc and other scientific bodies saying it's relatively safe to do so i think we should do so because the risk outweighs the the reward outweighs the risk but if um, you could do it in a safe manner i will be for it but i don't trust them i don't trust i i, I okay. go to public school like i don't necessarily trust that the that the the safety guard that was put in this in that uh in that um in that study uh it was like a study in a classroom in wisconsin that's not going to apply to an inner city school you know that that is like you have to have it you have to guarantee that sort of level of safety okay um, okay um, so, so there's issues in regards to that okay i think you know. we've agreed on a lot of things today i think we've really disagreed on some key things but anna um we have to keep this debate going in the future i wish we would have got more time to talk today but we've gone so long i want to thank you so much for coming on and we're going to have to debate again. All right. Uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you, Anna. It's always good to have Anna on. And we disagree on a lot of things, but we agree on a lot of things. And I think that really is what America is at the end of the day. We are slightly di more divided at this point than we have been in the past. But if we could have more of these honest discussions and we could come to the table with different opinions and things like that, you end up being able to find compromise. We found some compromise today. Um, so I think if we did more of that as a country, we'd be in a better place. 
and I just want to clarify, I'm pro-teacher. I have nothing against, well, I've had some bad experiences. But in general, I'm not against teachers. But I do feel that the teachers' unions are trying to exploit the situation. And we need to get kids back in the classroom. We, it's going to save lives. Kids are being harmed horribly. So we need to get the schools back open. And we're going to do a show about that coming up. But with that being said, I want to again thank you guys for listening. Um, your calls, your emails, your all the ways you communicate with us. It's I value it. I read all of them. Um, some are nicer than others. But keep it coming in. Keep tuning in. And until next week, live long and prosper.